I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Life and health are primary, but that's what we are as developers. Yes, it's a how home development is a very lucrative business, can be a very lucrative business, but there's a bigger purpose to why we develop homes. In FINMA, we call it making lives better. It's our way of helping in nation building. You know? And I think all of us home developers, in one way or another, partake in that. We're not just here for the profits that we make, we actually want to make lives better for everybody. And good evening. Welcome to another RJ Ledesma podcast. It's still another muggy Tuesday evening. And at least now we are in the time of GCQ again to all of you. I hope you are all safe, healthy, and well at your own homes. Again, thanks so much for joining us on another RJ Ledesma podcast. And for those of you joining from joining me here for the first time in the RJ Ledesma podcast, I interview the country's pioneering business personalities and, and learn more about how they think about business. I want to learn how they hack their business success or learn about their success secrets, how they've innovated their businesses during this pandemic, and more importantly, what opportunities do they see emerging in the new normal? Now, is there a business personality or an entrepreneur that you would like me to interview here on the podcast? Please do let me know. Drop me a message. We are also live right now on Kumu, CBRC TV, Global Pinas TV, and the Bounce Back Network. Tonight, just like any other night here on the podcast, I've got a very special guest, but this gentleman I've known for many years. He's a colleague of mine, and we've worked together on the board of the Subdivision and Housing Developers Association. Our guest for tonight is my good friend, Mr. Pete Felix. He's the President and Chief Executive Officer of FINMA Property Holdings Corporation, which is one of the most prestigious and reputable conglomerates here in the country, which is the FINMA Group of Companies. The overarching goal of the Group of Companies and its mission is to provide quality homes and build communities that cultivate the Bayanihan spirit. Now, prior to FINMA Properties, Pete was always involved in various capacities in the housing industry. Uh, offline, while we were talking, he told me, uh, just like myself, though I come from a real estate development uh, family, that they would bring us, uh, as high school students, uh, we would go to the site, we would go on site for the construction of homes or the constructions um, of real estate developments. Now, Pete finished with a Bachelor of Arts from Ateneo. And he also finished strategy execution and innovation programs from the Harvard Business School. He also took business analytics from the Asian Institute of Management. Pete was elected to the Board of Governors of the Subdivision and Housing Developers Association, where he served from 2017 to 2020, where we worked together. 
And finally, he became the president in 2019, and he was the chairman during our pandemic year. Now, I've actually invited Pete here tonight as part of an ongoing series of talks, which will be held uh, by the Subdivision and Housing Developers Association. We have a masterclass by SHEDA, or the Subdivision Housing Developers Association, and our SHEDA masterclass is taught by professionals, industry veterans. It's the art of real estate development, which is open both to SHEDA, non-SHEDA members, and even aspiring real estate developers. This will be on May 27th, Thursday, 6 to 7.30 p.m. If you want to be part of this class, please go to the SHEDA Facebook page and learn more about it. We've got some really great industry veterans who speak uh, on these topics. The first speaker was an idol of mine in real estate development, Mr. Jerry Choa of Pro Friends. And if you want to listen uh, to his, in, uh, his, his own interview here on my podcast, please check out our uh, podcast here on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts to hear more about uh, what Jerry Choa has to say about development. And now I'd like to invite uh, here on stage right now for a very special talk, Mr. Pete Felix. Pete. Good evening. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you very Pete, much for having me. Pete, thanks so much for joining us. And right now, listening are all our friends from the Subdivision and Housing Developers Association. Batiin na natin, Pete. Baka magtampo yung mga yan. <laughs> Good evening. Good evening to all my colleagues in Shada, uh, especially to Maya, who I certainly know is listening to us. <laughs> and we got people listening from Finma Properties, also our friends uh, from A Better Real Estate Philippines, and also listening in from uh, Bounce Back Real Estate. Uh, now, Pete, uh, before we get into our, our conversational, one of the things which we'll be talking about in the masterclass by Shedda, which is taught by real estate industry veterans and practitioners, is you'll be discussing really that the new P in the four P's of marketing, especially when it comes to real estate, is pandemic. Pandemic is the, is the new marketing, is, or is the new P when it comes to marketing and real estate. So that's going to be very interesting. And, and what I find particularly interesting right now during uh, this pandemic is that despite what's been happening, no, you actually opened up two new developments for FINMA, uh, which is Metro Town and Likha residence, uh, Residences. And for people who are outside of the industry, of course, or anybody not involved in real estate, they would think, isn't that sort of like counterintuitive to open up new developments amidst this, uh, this pandemic or this new normal? Tell us, what was going through your mind? Were you forced to go? That's why you had to open up already? Um, no, not really. Uh, in fact, on the contrary, during the pandemic, like every crisis, you think that things are going to go bad, right? And to a certain extent, they did. To a certain extent, some people lost their jobs. Some people are, were temporarily out of work. But in the property industry business, what we saw are people needing homes, more importantly now than ever before. In, in the last 15 years, the age bracket of those who buy homes are moved up. Maybe 10 years ago, 10 years ago, people were buying, and then all of a sudden that disappeared. People age 20 to 30 were no longer buying. It was it were more people in, the, in their 30s and their 40s who were buying. And all of a sudden, our experience uh, during last year, as a matter of fact, was that people who are in their 20s, 20 to 30-year-olds were starting to buy again. And I was wondering whether this was a, a happy or a welcome phenomena that we were experiencing in FEMA properties. So I started asking colleagues in Sheda and other, you know, other developers, etc. 
they were experiencing the same thing. So it wasn't only us. It was across the board. People were experiencing a resurgence of these 20 to 30-year-old home buyers. Uh, well, what do you what do you account for the resurgence? Because I'm, these people are usually the millennials, and of Pete, we are the millennials, the mga feeling millennials, no? So we're just kind of guessing at their at their mentality here right now. Because how I see it, or how we've seen it before, but they're more involved in if they if they're millennial, and sometimes it's stereotyped that if you're millennial, you're more into you know experiences, you invest more in experiences rather than in physical things. There was slowdown in purchases of cars because of things like you know Uber or Grab. Or even homes because of things like, I guess, Airbnb or you know, non-permanent dwellings. What do you think is accounting for accounting for them buying more uh, buying property now? And was it something that happened prior to the pandemic, or it was accelerated by the pandemic? You know, it was accelerated by the pandemic because we certainly did not notice that prior to the pandemic. You're correct. People are more for experience experiences uh, nowadays. At least the millennials. We were already starting down the path of looking into co-living, right? mm-hmm. because that's a big portion of, of the population today. Uh, however, the, the pandemic accelerated home buying for this young group. And uh, it's probably the need, the need for a home, the need to be isolated is what I can think of that propelled them to buy homes. Add to that the fact that there was no traveling, so they're saving more money. You know, and there's less going out. There's less buying of clothes. There's less buying of gadgets. So that's probably, you know, those are probably the reasons why I think money went into home buying. Home buying became the beneficiary of of the pandemic. So that they were they were they were buying less of the quote unquote non essentials, and they were investing uh, lo- longer term into something like housing. Yes, but that's the way you and I think as a millennial style. You're right. You're right. Again, thinking like a Tito over here, no? Like thinking like a Tito of Manila over here. I just have a I just want to get into that a bit more. Did you notice there was a particular time when, when it accelerated during the pandemic, or was it at the start in the in the middle? I'm just curious to find out, you know, when did that mentality occur for, for the millennials to start buying property? At the onset of the ECQ, middle of March 2020, things ground to a halt. You know, there was really no activities. After that, when we were allowed to start selling again, that's when we experienced it. There were already buyers, 20 to 30-year-old buyers in that mix. Wow. Pleasant surprise. No? I mean, at least it's a resurgence, and that's really where it is. Because if you look at the Philippines, we are in the demographic dividend or the golden golden right. uh, d- d- demographic dividend, right? That's 23 years old, which is the average age. We're much younger versus, let's say, Thailand, which is like 38 years old. So so we're, they say that we're in a demographic sweet spot right now. So I'm glad to see that. It's actually panning out uh, for the real estate industry. Now, having said that, looking back again at what you guys are doing uh, with Finma, uh, I'm sure that uh, at the start of this pandemic, you know, it was very scary for us as a developer, right? So what, what were the sort of pivots that you had to make to continue doing this one and to even pursue uh, finishing and marketing uh, your two developments? Let's split that into two. Let's split that as a company and as an industry. As an industry, I was very lucky to have been with Shedda, much more the chairman at that point in time. Uh, we had to convene right away. I remember it was it was very quick action on the part of on the part of Shedda. I really recall that because I was part of every meeting being the chairman at that time. And um, our president, Rosie, the energizer bunny, 
No, no it, it was really, it was really crazy. Um, first, we were thinking, okay, our revenues are going to go to are, are going to go to hell because we have no construction, and all of us at that time were thinking, okay, this only till April 30, okay, we can survive this. Then we were looking at, okay, how are we going to get takeouts from from the loans of our buyers? First of all, they want to move in, but as a rule, we don't allow them to move in unless they're fully paid. So we got to get takeouts. But then if it goes beyond April 30, then it starts affecting our cash flows as a business. Then it affects you know, uh, the salaries of our workers, the, our payments to our contractors, etc. No, so it was it was really tough. I remember first week of April, and it was Holy Week at that time. We convened the meeting right away with Pagibig, and we told Pagibig, you know, listen, let's work together on how we can process loan takeouts in an interim fashion because a lot of government offices are closed. So we will not be able to deliver the permits that we would normally be able to deliver prior to takeout. There was a lot of discussion. Thankfully, Pag-Ibi came, uh, responded positively, and we were able to work out what we call an interim takeout facility. So that took care of takeouts. And then there was the part of getting us to reopen. So at that time, we we started meeting after Holy Week, but at the time, the time frame was only April 30. But then April 30 got delayed to May 15 and then May 30, so forth and so on. So we were trying to convince back then the leadership, Secretary Del Rosario of, Pagib, mm-hmm. of the Department of Human Settlements to reopen. And we had to do it in a, in a way that it would be safe. We would not be a super spreader industry. So we had to formulate rules. Uh, these are new protocols. There had to be a new way of keeping workers on site so that they're not traveling to and from work every day. There had to be a new way, a new definition of what PPEs meant on site. Mm-hmm. It's not just your usual helmet and boots and gloves. Now you needed face masks, you know, and you needed washing facilities, disinfection facilities, even testing. So a lot of those things came into play. We, we got what we wanted. The industry did open. And a big thanks to, the, to Shedda for, in particular, because what Shedda did saved an industry. It's, it yeah. was not only, it did not save its members only, but it saved an industry. But, but for you, Pete, you were saying in the industry, there was something that was good, that it helped out a lot. It pivoted. But how about for you in, in Finma in particular? You know, I often say that during these times, pivots also, there are silver linings that you learn. Parang, oh, if I knew this before, then, you know, it's good I learned this now because it's actually something that I can use, pandemic or non-pandemic. Ano ba yung parang natutunan ninyo during this, this pandemic time? I would, with, with Finma, like, oh, okay, this is, pretty, this is pretty good. We were quite lucky in the sense that we are not big player. You talk about the conglomerate, but our, the, uh, the guiding, well, well the, the Business posts of our conglomerate is really our construction materials group and our education group. We're just a small player relative to our construction uh, materials group and our education group. So early on in 2016, we decided to go into digital marketing already. And during the pandemic, we did not have to scramble to get digital marketing in place. We were already there. We just had to accelerate or expand its usage. So that was one of the one of the silver linings that 
we realized. The other silver lining that we realized is sometime 2018, we decided to take advantage of Build, Build, Build and go into regional development. For the longest time, our concentration was Metro Manila. Well, we do have one project in Metro Cebu, one project in Metro Davao, but everything else is Metro Manila. So 2018, we decided to take advantage of the Build, Build, Build and go, go into the regions already. In fact, Apart from the car residences in Alabang and Petrotown, all our projects are really, are really in the regions. So because of work from home, maybe not every day, but at least some days of the week, the need, the need to be in a CBD was not as important. People wanted to be in an area where there's less congestion. So all our plans prior to the pandemic just fit in with the pandemic. You know, it, it's not like there was a major reconfiguration needed. Sure, configurations were needed here and there, but it was not it was not something major. Now, one of the things that you you were going to be talking about in that upcoming uh, master class is this one that you know you were saying that marketing homes nowadays no longer works. Like before, people used to think uh, if I build it, it will come. But you were saying that. This might not work nowadays for a more discerning market. To my mind, you know, uh, usually for affordable or low-cost housing, I mean, don't people always come for those properties? That's why there's non-stop because Pag-ibig will fund you. And I understand from the Colliers group, from my friend Joey Bondock, that horizontal uh, developments, residential housing is very, very strong, especially in the outlying provinces of Metro Manila. So uh, how does it reconcile with the idea that, you know, maybe, you know, building it, People will no longer come. What would you mean? What do you mean by that specifically? Maybe about 15, 20 years back, you put up a project, right? All you have to do, all you have to do is put a box with a roof, and people will buy. You know, people will buy. But today, with competition being so tough, there are a lot of real estate players. Yes, we do have shortages, but that's not because of developers, that's because of the regulatory environment by which we are allowed to develop. You know, there are a lot of developers to choose from. And you have to, you know, develops a more discerning market. People choose more. They become more finicky. They look at the piece of marketing, price, place, uh, promotions, product, the people behind it, processes by which you will take care of them. So you put all of that into play and people become more discerning. It's what separates one developer from the other. Now, especially if you are if you are not as big as the Ayalas and the SMs of this country, you have to find your place. You have to find your place. Where do you fit in? Because you don't have the resources of an Ayala or an SM, for instance, to be in all markets in all places at the same time. So you gotta you gotta figure out how you fit in to or where's your space? Where what space? In, are you going to compete in? And in so doing, that's when you have to go through college marketing plans of the seven P's. It's now seven, incidentally, RJ, not no longer four. And then so for, kasama si Pete ba dyan? So then, on the then, price then. place promotion, Pete, pand- pandemic? My, my physical evidence process and people na rin. Ah, and then okay. ngayon, na natin ang pandemic because that's a consideration, di ba? Yeah. Take all of that into consideration when you start planning your real estate project. Because if you don't, then your product will get lost 
amongst the the, the, the mounds and the heaps of, of housing products that are out there. Hello, this is Agnes Ravasho, CEO at MDI Novaria Technologies. Come listen to My Digital Impact, where I talk about customer experience obsession with fellow business leaders, about relatable moments on customer excellence, and teachable experiences on customer service. My Digital Impact is available wherever you listen to your podcasts, powered by Podcast Network Asia. Check us out after listening to this one. Um, Having said all that, Pete, you were saying you've got to know the space that you want to play in. The question is, what is the space that's still available to play in the market? How, you know, in, in, in a developer's mind, how do you play? Do you play based on, I mean, there's one consideration, you play based on price point or do you play based on, uh, I guess, uh, the type of developer or the quality of the development? Because, I mean, I think those are the two things you're playing for, more of a lifestyle luxury or price point affordable housing. I mean, to simplify things, no? how do you know, what are the spaces to play in right now? Um, well, affordability definitely is one way to play, right? You want it to be affordable to your target market. However, you especially if you're if you're a small or medium, you're you're an SME developer. You don't want you don't want to go into a price war. You don't want to go into a price war because a price war is something that you can never win because you don't have the scale to win, and you don't want also to start a price war with the big guys, because they'll beat you. They'll beat you to it. They have the volumes for it. So in a price war, everybody loses. So what is the value add that I can bring into my project, whereby I might not be the cheapest, but I can be I can be value for money for this particular segment, for a particular segment. I can be value for money for uh, all the people that work in that industrial park in Tansa, as an example, what is my value add? Because if, if, if it were purely price, uh, everybody loses. Well, what have you seen as a good value add? So, I mean, I like that Tansa example. It's like saying you can be, you have a value added by, by through location, I guess, which is one of the key things. And of course, in real estate, it's all about location, location, location. On top of that one, are there also other things where people can still, or, or developers can still stand out on if, if they can't, you know, if they if they hope to compete in the market or, or stand out or, or differentiate themselves from the bigger players? I would think that there are several, depending on what you niche on. I mean, even in the affordable market, there are there are several niches. Right? You have the you have, for instance, the OFWs, you have the people who work in industrial parks. So you have the people that don't work in industrial parks but work in the, for instance, in the offices in a CBD. So what might be important for them? You go through their thought process. You, you try to imagine their life. What would they do? What are their needs? Do they need a transport hub? Because this particular group of people that live here all go to work in Makati and therefore make, do the commute every day or almost every day because of work from home. So those things are value adds that might not allow you to sell lower than the other but the value add itself is worth the price that they're paying. Another thing that you what you were talking about in the masterclass, which I find very interesting, is the idea that the pandemic is leveling the playing field for developers. So having said that, no, I, I mean, 
I want to I want to say this because many people might get this uh, might might feel this way, you know, that is there still space for small and medium scale players to enter into real estate development? Because, you know, I mean, there's two things going on. Right? Um, from a opportunity standpoint, we always keep on saying, uh, given what whose numbers you're looking at, there is a seven plus seven plus plus million housing backlog in the Philippines. And, you know, we could use more developers. But at the same time, smaller developers are thinking, do I have the resources to actually do it? Because, you know, people want to develop, but it's not going to be easy. And there are a lot of, you know, and competition is fierce. So how is this pandemic leveling the playing field? And can still new developers enter the market, Pete? I think new developers can still enter the market. As an example, yes, there's there's competition amongst developers, but it's friendly competition. Just look at the developers in Sheda, how we help each other. I mean, we don't only help each other in the regulatory environment or with the BIR or with the department or with the BOI. We, we, we help each other with even our own intercorporate uh, issues. Hey, what, what's your cost here? How much are you buying steel for? You know, because my steel, I'm buying my steel at this price. You know, you know what? You should try this, this supplier. And that's the kind of talk that we have within the association. I think while we compete with each other, um, it's friendly competition. It's not that we're out to kill each other. And the fact that we have 7 million uh, backlog and rising by 2030, it's supposed to be 12 million. I think there's room, there's a lot of room for um, new players to come in. It's like I said, it's how do you differentiate yourself? What's your value add? So like um, Boss Bansan there, Boss Bansan. Boss Bansan is always very finicky with his cost, but he also shares his knowledge about his, his construction costs. And we learn a lot from that. Wow. You know? So I think there's there's room, and and yeah. it's a, it's it's a it's a welcome thing. We welcome new new players. And having said that, no, um, just a bit of a background. You were president already of the Subdivision and Housing Developer Association, and for people who maybe developers right now listening to us from I guess different parts of the country who aren't affiliated. Uh, with Cheda, or even aspiring developers who want to learn about development, how can they participate in Cheda? What does Cheda do, and how can they help developers? A lot of the things that we enjoy today, the thing you know that our businesses, our businesses are able to continue. Pagibig is able to process our loan takeouts. A lot of the regulatory, a lot of the regulatory requirements of the Department of Human Settlements have either been suspended or postponed. And that's because of Sheda. If it weren't for Sheda, it won't be there. We'd probably still be grappling with how our industry can get back into pre-COVID operations. We're quite lucky that we have the kind of officers and, and board that we do have. In fact, a lot we have a lot of members, but all of these members, all of you members who are listening, are encouraged to be as active as the board and the officers that actually run Sheda, because there is so much to do and you will reap the benefits of it. You will reap the, I, I can certainly say that you will reap the benefits of it. it it's added work, but that added work pays handsomely. Exactly. And for those who are interested to become developers, we're actually in the process of developing a sort of apprenticeship program. That's why we're asking people to join the Sheda Masterclass. So 
if you're learning, you know, there's no need to, you know, we've, they've, our developers are industry veterans, as they said, they've shared their body of knowledge. They don't mind being generous. So you don't have to make the same mistakes that you've made in the past. I remember right. in our previous talk, even with, with Jerry Choa, he would talk about five mistakes developers make. Even the experienced developers, the seasoned ones, they, you know, we've, we've made those mistakes and we're glad that you were actually here to listen to what they have to say. Because, you know, if, if it's like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. If you all do a good job, then the industry improves uh, as a whole. Now, having said that, Pete, I mean, let's go a bit more into your background and, and talk a bit more about Finma. Because, you know, before this conversation started off, I know, you know, you actually came from a real estate development family. That was your background. But you're actually working corporate and real estate. So you've got, to my mind, you've got two real estate minds working for you because it's yung mentality of isang real estate business owner or you know entrepreneur at isang tagtatrabaho sa isang corporation for real estate. Tell me a bit more about, about your journey. How did you find yourself uh, working with Finma? My ma maternal grandfather was always into real estate development. I grew up into real estate development. My, my father picked it up also. So, you know, as, as a high school kid, I would spend a lot of weekends in construction sites with workers. That's how my dad wanted it. You, you have to know what it's like to be in a construction site, how to construct, etc. So he sent me to do accomplishment reports uh, and, and to do payroll. I mean, to compute payroll, etc. No, on weekends, uh, even when I was in high school. And I, I, I continued that way, uh, even through college. And then in college, your college hours are not as fixed. So every time I'm done with school, two, two o'clock, uh, in the afternoon, then I go to the office. So that's that, that's how I started. And all the way up to my days in Finma, it was always with, with the family. Um, in 1997, after the Asian financial crisis, my dad decided, you know, you know, let, I'll try my luck in, in the U.S. So he put up a property development company in, in Florida at that time. And by and I joined him in 2000, late 2005. But by late 2006, one year only, we could see what was going to happen already with the with the global financial crisis this time. You know, with the mortgage-backed securities. So you know, I decided things are going to explode here. I better come back to the Philippines. By mid 2007, I was back in the Philippines. My brother was already handling. My dad's business, you know, and then I had cousins who were handling my grandfather's business. So that's when I decided to to, to join Finma Properties. As you were saying, the corporate ladder, you know, usually uh, I often tell people, you know, you, you take something from entrepreneurship or from working with a family business. How did you take that and, and use that sort of um, mindset when you started working for Finma? So what did, what were the lessons gained from that when that were that, that you were able to use as well in the, inside the company? It's a fantastic advantage to have that entrepreneurial mindset. I'd like to differentiate the expert from the manager. You have people who are experts at certain things. You have a marketing expert. You have a, an engineering expert. You have a finance expert. You have all sorts of experts. But you need the manager to bring it all together. And that entrepreneurial mindset kind of like gives you that management experience to bring it all together. In fact, as an entrepreneur, you don't have to be an ace of an ace in anything. You can be jack of all trades, ace of none. You know, it gives you the agility, broader mindset because you're not concentrated on one discipline. 
And then you were saying, no, um, was it something that you when you when you joined Finma was already there that okay, we know that Finma is gonna go, Finma properties is going this direction, or did you work together with Billy to sort of develop that competitive advantage or you know a unique selling proposition that Finma would be in the industry? To be fair, it was all there. That was the brainchild then of Willie. He, wow. had, he had this construction system. It was the tunnel form system. At the time, we were the only ones who were building condos for the affordable market. That was a time when all condominium projects in Metro Manila were for the rich, for the ultra-rich. You know, there were Salcedo Village, Legaspi Village. There were no condos for the affordable segment. And Willie's construction technology which uh, he bought from abroad, brought it here, learned how to use it, you know, et cetera, gave us that niche. And we had a good run. I I mean, I joined them in 2007. Willie started that in 1996. Until about 2010, we were sailing that affordable condo uh, sea by, you know, alone. Then came later the Amayas and the, you know, know, that was competition for us already. So in other words, it's sort of like, I mean, if you use the marketing term for it, that's a secret sauce was the, of course, the construction technology for sort of like prefab construction for affordable condominiums. Did, yes. at, that, at that time, did you guys really lean into it? In other words, um, if that was going to be your the big thing and then this competition came in, uh, if you don't mind me asking, why didn't, uh, was it because, you know, you had to compete now with, with people with bigger, with deeper pockets? That's what made things a bit more challenging for, for FINMA? I mean, yes, it was already the, it was the, the number one player. Kung baga, number one player na kayo dyan, time na yan, eh, di ba? Yes, definitely. I mean, as an example, one of the strengths of the tunnel form system was that it could deliver buildings fast. We could pour one floor every day. We could finish a five-story building in six to eight months. Tapos na yan, delivered na yan. So one of our propositions was quick turnover. But then, for instance, you have, uh, you have SM all the money in the world that has the resources so they can build all the, build, all the condominium buildings at the same time. Diba? So, sila, RFO na kami. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was your... So, kung ganyan, so, yung, yung parang pivot ninyo from the positioning na quick turnover, it became RFO, uh, ready for occupancy. What what did you guys have to do? I mean, if you were... Uh, if you don't mind me asking, what did you learn from that situation? Okay, from quick turnover, we had to sort of move somewhere else so that we could continue to remain competitive in industry. What did you guys do at that time to adjust to the, the changing competitive landscape? One thing we did not do is go into prime locations. We were the cheaper alternative if you did not have to be in a prime location. We were always in secondary and tertiary locations as, as a strategy. You know, So yes, SM is RFO. But you will pay more for an SM because they are in prime locations. We did not situate our... We, we can't compete with SM. <laughs> I, I doubt anyone can. And the interesting thing about that is that technically that, that strategy led to you first opening up in uh, Metro Cebu. And I guess slowly it followed that. That's why your strategy was to go regional. And it, and it sort of worked out in the end for you, especially during this pandemic. I mean, that, that's how it seems like to me. Yes, right. At that time, I told Willie, Will... We're, we're competing with a lot of the big players already. I, I think we have to start going out. So we did, but we were still going out into urban, into highly urbanized areas because of the tunnel form system. I see. I want to ask, I even mind me asking this question. I, I know that, you know what, she will eventually left to join another real estate development company. And, you know, it's sort of like, 
it put you in charge of things, <laughs> then you were you were in charge of things there. So so it was a kind of I, I would say a shock to the system now that you had to lead. But what were the key things that you learned from great leaders, especially not just from Willie, but from Finma in general? Because that's one of the be- the benefits of working for a group of companies like Finma. You're learning from great leaders left and right from the different organizations there. What did you pick up from them that has been, you know, really key in helping you, you know, survive and thrive in this industry? There are three people who I will attribute anything I've learned uh, in Finma from. One of them is Willie. One of them is our group CFO, Pit Brion. And then the other guy is, was my immediate boss until just last month, Bobby Lavinia. No? Never lose your entrepreneurial spirit. Don't ever get lost in the corporate world. Always keep your entrepreneurial spirit, number one. From Pit, was always stick to what you believe in. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Be willing to lose your job because of it. And then with, with Bobby, it, it was, don't tell me it can't be done. Tell me what you need, but don't tell me it can't be done. Wow, wow. But can I, can I, I hope you don't mind me get into it, though, because oftentimes when we talk about entrepreneurial mindset or entrepreneurial spirit, I, I know what that means. Like for me, it means that you always look at the world through eyes of opportunity and I often tell people, uh, entrepreneurial spirit means that you're not looking at things now, whether it's bad or good. You're just looking at what are the opportunities available in bad times and good right. times. Oh, right. Para you, what, what do you mean by entrepreneurial spirit? What exactly does it does it mean? So if people were not entrepreneurs and we had to explain to them, ano ba yan? Ano ibig sabihin yan? Well, it's, do you look at a crisis as a bad thing? Or do you look at what gaps are there? that a crisis creates, that you can niche in or create an opportunity from? What are the new needs that a crisis creates? And how might I serve those needs? Exactly. Um, and having, having said that, no, moving forward, you have the opportunity to look at your lens as a person in the company, in Finma, and also as somebody from the industry, looking industry-wide. What are you seeing as, as coming up as the emerging opportunities in real estate in particular, and I guess in, in the business in business sector, in the economy in general, what do you see is, is emerging out of this new normal? You know, over the last year, I think the concept of having a purely residential subdivision or condominium has disappeared. You'll still get people to buy your home. I mean, we do have a backlog, right? But if you want a value proposition for your development, you got to think about what are the needs of the community that I will be able to provide them and still be feasible for me to sell at the price that I want to sell at. The concept of a township, for instance, is no longer Jerry's township. You have to be able to bring the township concept into smaller, into a smaller scale. So even if you're not a big boy, just as a small and medium enterprise developer, how can I make a township out of my project such that the basic needs of my community are addressed. So I think that's one that, that's that's one opportunity. And that's whether you're building a subdivision or you're building a one condominium structure. You got to find a way. The other thing that I see is the ramp up in digitalization. Digitalization is, I think, what has kind of close the gap between the big boys and the small and medium developers. 
if you're going to go with physical events and advertising and billboards, the traditional, traditional advertising, print media, you lose out to the big boys. You don't have the ammo to do that if you have, you know, two or three projects. You need scale. You need 30, 40, 50 projects to do what they're doing. But now, marketing, online, social media, the Moody, Hopler, and the like, kind of like closes that gap. Even in your tripping set, this pandemic closed that gap. Because before, you had big events and you invite 50, 100 people, whereas the big boys probably would invite 300, 400 people, right? But now, trippings are all scheduled. You yes, have virtual yes. walkthroughs, and now you have you have scheduled trippings. So it doesn't make a difference if you have three sales sales vehicles or 50 sales vehicles scheduled. Naman lahat eh. So that's that's the thing. Hello there, Jinkitan here, motivational speaker, wealth coach, best-selling author, and now host of Chink Positive Podcast, a podcast that aims to help you to become wealthy and debt-free by teaching you on how to save, budget, get out of debt, and invest. Powered by Podcast Network Asia. Available on wherever you get your podcasts. See you there. Now, uh, let's also take a look at, um, I guess, where the market is coming from now. We saw emerging opportunities in terms of townships. Now, in terms of, if you don't mind me asking, in terms of housing development, are there particular areas that you're seeing that are bright spots right now and uh, particular development types that are active right now? I mean, for me, I mean, it would people would think that normally. Uh, the thing is, you know, when you, when you look at real estate, you keep on thinking the high-end condos is where the money is at, no? Or, or where the development is at. But actually... Uh, to my mind, it's all the affordable housing, those that exist from 500,000 to about 2.5 million. That's a bit more. Where, where's the market going? Is it's it's uh, are there particular areas that are, are that are doing good right now? Are there particular price points for properties that are doing exceptionally well? I think it's still the same. Um, I know I know the high end; they're not affected. So you'll always you, you'll always have that market in the affordable market. And maybe I'm maybe I'm going to stretch it a little. By affordable market, I'm going to say up to the 8 million peso bracket for horizontal. Maybe for vertical, maybe for, for vertical up to the DMCI level, you're, you're a little bit above that. In between the DMCI level and the Ayala Premier or the Ayala Alveo level, that's a little bit probably affected because of the density of a high-rise building. No? But other than that, I think the market segments are, are still very strong. You might say that because we have a backlog. Sure, I'm not denying that. Markets are strong because there's really a mismatch of supply and demand. And I guess a lot of the people who might have lost their jobs permanently or temporarily, a lot of them belong to a market, to a price point in the housing market that is really underserved. I mean, that's where the biggest backlog is. So we're lucky... We, the whole industry is lucky in that aspect. That's why we all still have a lucrative business. And, and geographically, what are you see? What are you seeing? Because, like you said, now you you've made the move to see that uh, you know to go to the I guess urbanizing areas, what people call the fringe, the fringe cities to to NCR as being the fastest growing. 
what are the what are the are there particular areas that you're seeing or is is everything growing the same north south Luzon and other areas outside of uh, in Visayas and Mindanao what what are you seeing as a, as growth areas I think in general a lot of the areas are growing all together but not at the, not uh, at the same rate there are emerging cities that you'd like to focus your sights in if you had to choose and that's because these are where growth will be happening in the next three to 10 years, three, five, 10 years. And I think that's where the, the focus of developers should be. Where are jobs being created the most? What is the infrastructure that is being put in place to be able to get to these places faster? You know, I think all of that plays a consideration, especially now the fringes, like you said, because a lot of industries really change for good in the sense that you don't have to go to the office five days out of the week, or even if you go to the office five days out of, out of the week, we're not going to require you to be here nine to five. It's, you know, more flexible hours. Now, now lastly, uh, I want to ask one more question. In particular, uh, it's about our growing OFW market, our overseas Filipino workers market. You know, in the sense, it's the, the housing industry in the Philippines really is growing on the backbone of all, uh, of all the OFW remittances being sent back over here to the country. During this pandemic, was there an increase or acceleration in terms of the OFW market? Uh, you know, uh, because you know, they were also locked down abroad and many of them were, com- were coming home. There was, many of them were being repatriated. Did this affect also the, the, the demand in housing? And uh, having said that also, Maybe it's a loaded question, but are there also other areas of opportunity right now in terms of the OFW market, in terms of geography or in terms of uh, skill set or particular niches that you need to target for OFWs? A lot of people lost their jobs in, in, the, in the overseas market. But for instance, our Davao overseas sales, and we don't have any overseas office. Huh? These were returning OFWs. Huh? So that segment increased by 13% last wow. year. I was talking recently to Dr. Bernie Villegas, maybe of like two or three weeks ago. Dr. Bernie Villegas told me, look at the OFW market. Last year, they were predicting a 10% drop in remittance. Actual was 1%. That was the actual drop in remittances. This year, we're actually expecting it to grow. You know, So I, I think there's a strong market there uh, in terms of geographical locations. Well, it depends. What country are you trying to capture and what is their job? Like, if you want to capture the seafarers, you know, a lot of our seafarers, and I, I just learned this recently, uh, <laughs> a lot of our seafarers come from coastal towns like Batangas and Cavite. So Makes sense, makes sense now, right? Uh, <laughs> but they yeah, are, I, but I, we never, we I, never I, realized. No, exactly. I never thought of that. Parang, oh, oh. Aman, aman, of course. We don't expect them to come from the mountains, right? <laughs> yeah. And then and then you have a lot of land-based people in the hospitality business that are originally from, from Iloilo, Pacolod, Cebu. And that's because there's a lot of English-speaking schools there, which are not as expensive as Metro Manila. I know, Pete, we've covered so much material uh, during tonight's conversation, but having said that, are there any last thoughts that you do have uh, in your in your mind that you know we haven't had a chance to share just yet? Because you know there, there's a lot of things going on here right now. I want to just know. Lastly, what has this pandemic taught you as a businessman, as a person that that's been very valuable that you know you think you're going to be carrying for the years to come? Life and health are primary, but 
That's what we are as developers. Yes, it's a how home development is a very lucrative business, can be a very lucrative business, but there's a bigger purpose to why we develop homes. In FINMA, we call it making lives better. It's our way of helping in nation building. You know? And I think all of us home developers, in one way or another, partake in that. We're not just here for the profits that we make. We, we actually want to make lives better for everybody. And again, thanks so much to everybody for listening to us. If you like this interview, if you enjoyed listening to me and to Pete, and you want to hear from more developers like Jerry Chowa, who we had here before in the past, we also had Filipino Homes, Anthony Lutero here on the show. Please subscribe to the RJ Ledesma podcast. You can find us on Spotify and the Apple podcast. Again, thanks so much, everybody, for listening to the RJ Ledesma podcast. We will see you guys again next week. Thanks so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, RJ. Thank you, everybody. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. <laughs>